Brilliant Earth is the global leader in ethically sourced fine jewelry. Create your own custom engagement ring and pick from a variety of ethically sourced diamonds, gemstones, metal types, and settings. Brilliant Earth also offers wedding rings, vintage pieces, and many other handcrafted jewelry items with exclusive, unique designs you can't find anywhere else. To enjoy free shipping and returns on any Brilliant Earth's fine jewelry selections, just visit BrilliantEarth.com slash Chang. That's BrilliantEarth.com slash Chang, C-H-A-N-G. Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Domo Media. Today's guest is Ty Haney. She is the CEO founder of the white hot athletic apparel company Outdoor Voices, based in Austin, Texas, where we recorded this uh, during South by Southwest in partnership with Uber Eats at the Uber Eats house. And we recorded a podcast with Eric Costin, the skateboarder, and the chef Aaron Franklin of Franklin's Barbecue, which we'll release over the next couple weeks. But this podcast was with the founder, visionary of Outdoor Voices. Ty was someone that I've sort of known the past five years, a sort of a small world. We have a lot of mutual friends. And she's created a company that people in my life, including my wife, are huge fans of. They not only love the sort of athletic creations or the apparel that she creates, but they love the brand and the messaging of Outdoor Voices. She's a young CEO who's built this brand, this company, by rejecting common wisdom and just following her gut. She has not been afraid to make mistakes or own up to the mistakes that she's made. She founded Outdoor Voices when she was 25, and when everyone was asking her, why do we need another athletic apparel company? There's Nike, there's Under Armour, there's Lululemon. But she saw an inefficiency in the market and a whole group of people who weren't being spoken to. Now you see OV, and that's just what Outdoor Voices, the acronym is OV. So that's what you'll hear, OV, everywhere. It's one of the most successful, widely imitated, admired brands out there. Ty fashioned the whole thing in her image. And there's a great New Yorker article that just came out that profiles her and how she made it all happen. But I wanted to talk to her because not only do I see a lot of myself in her, I also see someone I can learn from. Really, the only similarities is we both started businesses very young, and she is just light years ahead of wherever I was, especially the way she's allowing to learn and adopt criticism She's fearless, and she is someone that is incredibly moving and and the kind of leader that can make the impossible happen. She's determined and smart, and I would not bet against her. Spending time with her was an eye-opening experience to seeing someone that's sort of on this path to making it happen. And I, for one, am excited to see where she's going to go. I think she's one of those very rare people that is the real deal. So excited for you guys to hear my conversation with Ty Haney. I will shut up and let you guys hear this conversation. Thank you so much. I 
I'm recording this from the South by Southwest Festival in Austin at the Uber Eats house, where we're recording three different podcasts with Ty Haney of Outdoor Voices. We have the godfather of barbecue, Aaron Franklin of Franklin Barbecue, and we have skateboarding legend Eric Costin. Very, very excited to share with you my conversations with them. Uh, in addition, there's all kinds of fun things happening at the Uber Eats house. One of which is we're hosting a dinner with some of the best chefs in the country, my friends, Deep Tran of Good Girl Dinette. We have Jessica Kozlo of Squirrel. We have Deb Keach from Major Domo. We have Ileana Reagan from Elizabeth and Kitsune in Chicago. And Ashley Christensen of a number of award-winning, outstanding restaurants in Raleigh, North Carolina. One of my favorite chefs. All of them make delicious food. Honored that we get a cooked dinner together. And that's not all that Uber Eats is doing. They're also making the food experience very interesting and fun at South by Southwest. They're doing all kinds of stuff like surprise food deliveries, hosting live musical performances paired with food and running a walkthrough window where you can get all kinds of delicious stuff on 6th Street. South by Southwest is always a good time to be in Austin. I love being here. Definitely one of my favorite events anywhere. And I'm honored that Uber Eats has invited us to be part of it. My wife is a big fan of yours. Cool. Thank you, she Grace. She wears a lot of OV. <laughs> and it's an amazing brand that you've been able to create. Thank you. I don't know if people quite understand how fucking impossible it is to do what you've done and to have the vision to do that. But like before we get into that, it's like what led you to make the company the way you did, right? Like Because it's not like you had business school training in fact you decided not to you yeah. know go to usc like you mm -hmm. just had an article great article in the new yorker right um there seems to be a fierce independent streak in you mm -hmm. in general right i think it started from being a competitive like young athlete so i grew up in boulder colorado um was a feisty little thing and um loved competitive sports and so Played soccer, basketball, ran track, etc. Loved Nike at the time because of psychologically the impact the brand had on you when you put the product on. You're like, hell yeah, I'm going to beat Jenny to the left of me in hurdles. Um, and so had grown up just knowing uh, or experiencing what this brand could do from a psyche standpoint on like this little blonde tomboy girl. As I got older and no longer wanted to pursue competitive athletics that had been so pressure oriented, I took a year off and said to my parents, I know you want me to go right into school, but screw it, I'm, I'm taking a U-turn. Um, did your parents want you to pursue athletics they in didn't, college? They just wanted me to go to college. So neither of them had graduated from college. And so that, that was a big deal for them. And they're like, Ty, like, you've gotten this far, like, come on, just why would you take a year off? Because um, I think a lot of parents would be telling, you know, they'd, it'd be the parent committee and they'd be like, eh, she's probably not gonna go back, you know? And so I remember that being kind of crushing to them because they had hopes of she'll go, you know, four years and be the first of our family. And nope, sure enough, took a U-turn, went to Boston of all places. Um, Why Boston? I don't really know. It's like the polar opposite. I still of am Boulder. asking myself that. <laughs> it's fucking cold there. Um, <laughs> but I found a little spot on Craigslist in Somerville. 
Um, my dad drove me out there across the country, dropped me off. Because of my name, they thought I was a boy. They're like, Tyler, and they signed me up for a house full of guys. And I can't believe my dad actually let me go. But I started working at a, at a restaurant called Border Cafe. It's in Harvard Square, slinging fajitas and, and margaritas, et cetera. And actually, that was that's like a time in my life that I look back on as so kind of transformational. Why is that? I think it's where I learned to like relate to people and from like an e that's where I like really developed kind of an EQ and like understanding like on a personal level what drives people and, and kind of how to get what you want, I and guess. You probably saw the best in people and the worst in people. Hundred percent. Yes. And some experiences you're like so frustrated, you're like, shit, I'm just gonna throw this plate of fajitas on the floor and stomp out of here. And then other ones were just like they opened my eyes to kind of you know, what the world could be if you really leaned into it and, and were open and curious. Did you have aspirations to play collegiate sports? Nope. I had play, I had got done every sport to the max up until high school that I said, hell no, I'm burnt out. Like but there was so much pressure. But obviously you're crazy competitive. Uh-huh. How did that competitive change? Like, the, like I play competitive golf, even though I can't play at all anymore. And I, yep. I hate the sport, quite frankly. Yeah. If you put me on a golf course, next to Tiger Woods, even though I know I'm not going to fucking win, I You're fully expect to beat the shit out of him. Totally. I, and I'm still there. But it's, um, I remember in sixth grade, my science teacher was like, wow, Ty, I, you're a Renaissance girl. You like do 17 things in the time that a lot of people do four. And that's something that has stuck with me and, and kind of something that I think about a lot and often like tell women in particular, be a Renaissance person, especially when you're young, like try a lot of shit. Because you know then pretty quickly if you want to pursue something or not. And for me, pursuing competitive sports felt too one-dimensional. I was like, the world has so much going for it. Like, but I've got to try good, it all. Like beating people? Yeah, but <laughs> I mean, that I've found, like competition is a, like a it's, it's a code word for feeling good when you beat people. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, being competitive—that's like I think how a lot of us find success over time. But just applying it to life first, crossing the finish line first, um, is as much fun. So that's quite the epiphany to have, be like, wait, this is not what I want to do anymore. Yep. So where did this self-awareness come from at such an early age? It's instinctual. I mean, I wish I, I wish I knew, but I, my parents were cool in that they always taught us to like really be driven from our gut. And that's actually fast forward to OV, a lot of like what I want to help people find the courage to do is go back to that unbounded enthusiasm as a little kid, that like fearlessness, that like primal, I'm listening to what's really within me without overthinking things. So I would say my mom and dad and my mom's twin, my Auntie Am, who taught me to hurdle over a broomstick, um, really kind of instilled that. And it's, it's kind of this natural thing. I don't know if you can teach it, but you can definitely set an example and be a mentor through that. But do you find yourself now as the CEO founder of a one of the hottest companies out there trying to teach that very thing? I kind of wax and wane out of, I think, how I show it or tell it. Like one of my philosophies is show, not tell. And I found that, yeah, showing by doing, setting the example verse by trying to teach it or articulate it is at least at this point what I'm best at. Um, I think we just brought on a president and COO who is freaking awesome. I, she's my, the best day of my life was four weeks ago when she started because I found that 
like the people organization side of the equation was something that I just wasn't good at. Like I can inspire people, but, but even coaching and developing and, and um, kind of that org development side of the, of the equation, I'm not good at yet. What you just said, I would like to unpack mm-hmm. because I've gotten to admire and observe some of the most successful people out there in all walks of life. And I always find the people I admire the most are the ones that can very quickly identify what they suck at. Mm -hmm. Totally. And I think it's very inspiring and refreshing to hear someone right off the bat be like, yeah, I got to bring someone in because I don't know how to do this part. Right. But you said something very, very key yet. Yes. Totally, a hundred percent, and and I think that comes back to that openness and and constant drive to learn, and that competitiveness fuels that. But um, I think I found after five years of doing this that I was going to burn myself out if I didn't align myself to my strengths. So, and I think in in how I operate now, and and a lot of my mentors have taught me this, but align people to their strengths, and that's what drives or energizes them, you know, and so. I had to reckon with that myself, even though I, I found early on I was like an inch deep and a mile wide in everything. I had to be very conscious of like and intentional of where I spent time, and I'm sure similar for you, to really be able to continue to have that energizer bunny vibe and enthusiasm and passion for showing up every day and, and being the inspiration and kind of the vision and leader for the team. Almost a dozen times a day, because we have, we have a lot of employees. I, I mean, how many? I think we're in clout, include like part time mm-hmm. at the end of this year. We'll be well past fifteen hundred. Yeah, wow. And um, that's a terrifying thing mm-hmm. because I suck at so many things. <laughs> and every day, there's a moment where I'm like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And it's humbling totally. and it's terrifying. <laughs> and somehow I get out of that malaise and I'm like, oh, I got to do this again. I got to figure out how to do this. You are running, again, this, this brand, this lifestyle, really. I don't mm-hmm. even look at it as a, a company. It's, it's, it's who you are. Mm-hmm. And I have so many questions to ask because it would unpack some things for myself or maybe someone else that wants to be an entrepreneur. How do you find the confidence to do the things that you know you don't know how to do, but you have to sort of project confidence that you yeah. know what you're doing? yeah. You have to head your self-confidence, which, again, like, ebbs and flows. And it really sucks in the moment where you're really, like, you have to show up having all hands with your team. And you're like, I really feel insecure at the moment. And, and you just got to go through that. it. Oh, I, and I don't think necessarily people know that, you know. And so um, being a competitor, I think you grow up putting so much pressure on yourself that you end up being extremely hard on yourself. And um, I think the more that I've been able to unpack that and understand, like, like, I think I go back to, like, picturing people in their underwear. Like, that's not it for me, but I think that's an important, it's like a little mantra that I say to myself ahead of, like, addressing the team when one day I show up and shit's going bad, you know? But hedging yourself confidence for me has really been about, like, a mantra and, like, a positive psyche. And, and I really think about everyday optimism and totally possible. And these are kind of some things that I say to myself when I'm, when I'm like in a moment of insecurity or vulnerability, but I recognize it. And then I just know 
I have to be persistent. I have to go into beast mode. And I think that's something I've noticed in my peer set of people who have founded companies. Like, you have to be a beast. You almost have, like, the Beyonce, um, what is it, the persona, like the uh, alter ego. You have to be a beast. But when I'm talking to you right now, the feeling I get is, oh, I'm talking to someone that's played sports. A hundred percent. Right? Yeah. You sound crazy. (laughs) Like the good kind of crazy that I know when I talk to people, they're like, why do I not get that? Like, how do I drink what they're drinking? Totally. You know what I mean? Totally. And it's so hard to explain to people. It's almost reckless abandonment, but you have to just trust, even though there's mm-hmm. no safety net, that mm-hmm. I got to push through. I got to totally. continue to do it. Totally. And you just radiate that. Uh-huh. It's like, I don't know, but I'm going to fucking get there. Totally. But- Team sports, I would say that that's like a recipe for my success to date. Um, and a lot of the way that I think about running the team and, and kind of where we're headed is is back to team sports. So like creating a dream team of, of like starters and, and bench players that are working towards a common goal together, you know? Like, how, well, how were you uh, as a teammate on, on the basketball team? I, oh my gosh, this is funny. In high school, um, my, our, uh, well, the physical therapist would give anybody who took a charge a pie I think I had at the end of the season 25 pies. I was the best defensive player in the world. I I could shoot. I was at number three, so I kind of was this like I guess the shooting, corner yeah, shooting, shooting guard. Forward, yeah. But I like never would make any points. I just I was the best defender, and I got a shit ton of pies. So um, I am a Libra, so I'm kind of both good and bad, and I think that comes across as a friend, as a For teammate. For those that don't understand what you just explained, uh-huh. because there's plenty of people that don't. What kind of player is the person that takes the charge on a team? Did you lead the team in scoring? I didn't lead the team in scoring, but I led the team probably in enthusiasm. <laughs> Did you, uh, were you the, considered the best player on the team? Hell no. Did you think you were the best player? Hell no. But- I, I like, yeah. I mean, you've talked about this. Yeah. Right? Like, definitely not the most skilled. I, like, probably had... My average was like four points a game, which was pretty pitiful to be a shooting guard. Um, but I had so much ferociousness and just like unabandoned like energy and passion and drive to like leave it all on the court. It's kind of like not a unique thing to say, but I felt it. And the type of player if you don't understand basketball that takes the charge and to lead that is the someone that is going to sacrifice life and limb mm-hmm. for the betterment of the team. Totally. Right. Hundred percent. And you can't win on a consistent basis without players like yourself, in my right. opinion. Right. 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 Like uh, you are the glue, you are the water care. You, you carry the water for the team. Right. You're the leader that does all the things that don't matter. Mm-hmm. Right. And you set the example for all the underclassmen that are coming in and what you're doing, whether you realize it or not. And I think you do now is you're creating a culture of winning. Yep. Right. How does that work in the kitchen? Or how do you think about same, like your team? Same, same thing. But yeah. there's what I've learned is there's two ways. There's many ways to get there, and um, I don't know. In like when I played sports, particularly when I played like football, it was as the dumbest way you could possibly coach. Right? What? What do you mean? This is like, dang, <laughs> <laughs> dang. It was just a lot of <laughs> right. expletives mm-hmm. and. Totally. Not, not, uh, but I, I do better under negative reinforcement, uh-huh. right? That's just my own neurosis and totally. who I am. 
if you compliment me, I don't know what the fuck to do. Um, <laughs> it fucks way. me up. We just had this New Yorker article come out, and I was trying to digest it and inter- internalize it. It's hard to feel proud. It's super weird. Because it, does, do it doesn't exist. It doesn't. Every, like, every situation can be better, 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 better. And it's almost this. That's probably what I'm most scared of is like, well, Everyone's I ever? like, hey, that's so fucking cool. And you're like, no, but no. all these things are not working right. Right. Uh, and that, that's maybe what I'm, I'm at this point most scared of is like, will I ever, uh, it's not satisfied, but for a moment, be able to like celebrate truly and purely. No, but again, I, I don't know if this came because I've played individual sports and team sports, but it's the process of getting there that is so addictive. And you totally. know this probably from your experience. Again, like I'm not the world's expert in any of this shit, yeah. but once you get satisfied mm-hmm. with the current state you're in, you've learned from experience probably that that's a dangerous time. Right. Then what's the point? I, I yeah. Hubris. You've got to be challenged. And winning, that's probably why we launched ourselves into these crazy right. industries. <laughs> and 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 like you almost have to believe this way again. Like, this is how I feel is if you step back and smell the roses too long, mm-hmm. like you're gonna be passed pretty quickly. You're gonna be passed, and you lose that hunger, mm-hmm. and you almost have to convince yourself that nothing is good enough. Right. Uh, I, and I think, yeah, it's. It's but how do you extreme. explain that to your friends, to your family? Because I see in you the same shit that I see in the people that I like to just hang out with. <laughs> They're fucking crazy in the best <laughs> possible fucking way. Because the current yeah. mode of how you're supposed to live is unsatisfactory. Oh, 100%. Um, you don't explain it. Um, but there's no other way. But you have to now. You I have know, to. You I'm really trying, do. It's so difficult. I'm trying, I'm trying to think <laughs> through that. Maybe you can give me some advice. I don't know. Because I've learned, again, through how I've done this, and I've made so many stupid mistakes, mm-hmm. how I learn is not how everyone needs to learn. Mm-hmm. And that if you make a blanket way, like if you do like a, a rubber stamp style leadership, mm-hmm. it can be effective for the short term. Yeah. But there's a lot of people, particularly a lot of young women, mm-hmm. that want to do everything that you've done. Yeah particularly people in your company, I would totally. imagine. Yeah. And I could be wrong, but I think that's a dangerous mix. A hundred percent. I speak a lot about um, people like, how did, how did you build this, et cetera? But the coolest thing nowadays is like people need to recognize that, that you can create value out of your own personal experience and that becomes your own moat, you know? Like every little detail of things that happen to you or, or you put yourself into a situation around becomes part of your personal experience that becomes your own rules to the game or your own playbook. And like, that's what is so exciting is it's not trying, why would we try to duplicate something that's already out there? Like I, I'm very big on people experiencing a lot and then looking internally to like what motivates them, what inspires them, what can they uniquely bring to the table? And, and that, that's how you create something that's of value and and untouchable. So how bad does it feel when you miss the goals, the marks, financial goal, whatever? How mm-hmm. much does it crush you? It's, or when someone says to you, I don't like working here. Yeah. Or this isn't what I thought it was going to oh be. Oh my God, I'm so sensitive to it. It's so sad. I was just talking about this to Pam, our new COO, because she's on, on board in four weeks now. And I'm just like... 
I am so sensitive to that, but but is this because normal? It's who you are. Is it's this a rejection of yeah. you, I think. Well, right? and and it's our um, goal and our our job to create an environment that you know is a place people want to come to work every day. And I think uh, being a mission driven company, like a lot of the time, I'm like, this is why wouldn't people want to work here? It's, but but it's just not it. at certain times. It's not the right place for certain people, you know. And I, you have to you have to address that head but on. Failing is the. I mean, it's again like sports to me was about. I never thought about feeling the goodness of winning or reaching your goal. Right. I fucking hated losing right. so <laughs> right. much that I would work harder, practice harder, mm-hmm. do whatever I needed to do. So I never tasted what that felt like again. Totally. And it was, it's been a long process for me to learn that my leadership style and when someone, when I failed personally or on a business level and I continued to, I got to learn that like, um, not everyone wants to see it the way I do. Totally. And that's so hard because totally. we're, I don't know how you, I don't know how you separate that, that out of like, cause the company is you mm-hmm. too. Right. Mm-hmm. And all you care about it so much. I yeah. can just tell Yeah, you want everything and everyone to be like the, at the peak of their powers right. and contributing to this greater good. But I want it to be free and that's setting something free or like setting boundaries or kind of like rules for something, but then letting people make it their own is something I think about a lot, like creating a neutral platform with our company that, that provide the right tools for people to then, and kind of the right guidelines and direction for people to make it their own. And, and I think that's helped me kind of separate it from, from myself. Um, the other thing, like particularly with the financial comment, like I've learned to love the gift of shock. Like when people get a little too cushy or comfortable and things are just going perfectly it takes a moment to be like, holy shit, we miss that or, or like made the wrong action. And like that, that's a gift of shock because now we better like tighten up the ship and, and all come together and like work as a team more. Um, so I've learned to appreciate like the big fucking failures. Um, it's exhilarating talking to you because it gives me all kinds of chills because it's like, shit, like I've gone through a lot of this stuff. I think I'm learning just talking to you and like, you feel it. And I'm also just thinking to myself while you were just talking, I was like, had you played sports professionally or whatever, you would have excelled. But Mm -hmm. had you chosen to do anything, Mm -hmm. you would have excelled. I really believe that because it's like, it's very rare to find someone that's like, I'm just going to fucking make it happen. Mm -hmm. Fuck all. I'm going to fucking do it. Yeah. With respect, fuck all. Yeah. But like, (laughs) That's, that's a, that's, I don't know why it's a rare thing, but it's, it gives me like, oh, I'm like, oh, I'm so fucking happy that you exist. Right. Thank you. And (laughs) I have no doubt that OV is just going to continue to destroy and crush because you have to make it work. You know what I mean? Right. I think what fuels me is, um, we have Slack. Do you use Slack? I don't know how to use it. Okay. Everyone, we have it, but this is how (laughs) out of tape I am. Well, okay, we I'm use Slack. So we have this channel called Customer Chatter that comes to all of our desks every day with customer feedback around good, bad, medium, good, whatever. But the coolest thing that I see like consistently come through is is with Outdoor Voices, we've been able to tap into this whole um, group of people that may have grown up an athlete or not, but at this point in their lives don't resonate with this archetype of the athlete and like the goal to cross the finish line first and rather through Outdoor Voices and, and what we call doing things, which is activity for the fun of it, have found 
that they really see the world as like strong or for themselves strong as a mindset, not a body type. And so there's a whole kind of underrepresented segment of the population that always saw like the Olympic athlete as if I'm going to be athletic, that's what I'm going to have to look like. Or, and, and a lot of people are like, that's fucking intimidating. Or like, I'll never do that. So I'll never start. And so for me, what drives me every day is seeing this customer chatter or going out to a Zumba event with students at UT. We did that last week. And like seeing how, like by redefining what activity can be, being out there for the joy of it rather than the pressure to perform, that's really improving people's lives. And so that I think is what excites me about the future and but keeps us going. how has the competitiveness and who you are and winning, how does that translate into giving back? How does that Because that seems to be at the core of who you are too, right? Like, well, we want to have impact, right? So like, like, and I go back to the Nike, which I'm, I have so much respect for Nike. I think because of how many people, like population-wise, they've changed the mindset or impacted kind of the lives of. And I see the same opportunity just kind of flipping that notion of performance on its head and focusing on that daily activity. With all due respect to Nike, mm-hmm. and I'm a Nike person. I, I adore everything, shoe dog, everything. Mm-hmm. Religiously, Same. I'm a Nike person. What did you see that they didn't um, to start OV? Right. I mean, or that, they probably did, but they didn't know how to yeah. do it. I mean, they're, they're rooted in winning and performance and competition. And I very much believe that to get more people to be active, it's got to be joyful. It's got to be something that they can do with friends, that they can do with a smile on their face. I very much believe that the future of athletics isn't about being there first, but it's about frequency. And to drive frequency, you've got to free fitness from performance. So at this point, for me, it's like, how do we make being active like as foundational to your daily life or the everyday as eating, sleeping, drinking? And the reason I care about that is both from a personal standpoint or personal experience, like endorphins generated through eating food and being active are what make you happy. And with so much shit going on in the world and so much negativity and, and um, a rising rate in depression and obesity, et cetera, like um, we have the opportunity through this mission to be the antidote, you know, and, and none of us in our everyday life need more pressure, need more um, added to our plates or to feel like we're less than, how do we essentially be that antidote through bringing recess back or play back into your everyday? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Today's episode of the Dave Chang Show is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Hiring is a challenge, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses can connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash Chang. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Chang. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Chang, C-H-A-N-G. ZipRecruiter.com slash Chang. ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And now, back to the show. 
Do you think that you're trying to create a company and products that is going to teach to your consumer base that they need to learn how to take chargers instead of shooting three-point shots? Take chargers. <laughs> Interesting. I mean, I, one of our... that's weirdly what I... When you we were telling me this, I was like, I, I understand what you're saying, but I'm trying to understand it better by sure. like a sports analogy because I live in worlds of sports analogies. Yeah. It's like winning from a Nike perspective is about training your hardest, being peak maximum, like efficiency, blah, blah, blah. So you can like get to the top of the podium. Mm -hmm. But everything that you're talking about to me and who you are, yeah. it's like there's a whole village that you need to do to that is also important. Right. I mean, um, I think it's, I'll talk a little bit about like communities at the center of, that's like what brings the mission to life for us. So different activities, um, dog walking, jogging, et cetera, that we do together. And, and when I participate in these things, I'm right there with everybody else. We hosted a brunch of joggers here at South by on, on Saturday. And I'm up there talking for a minute on the stage, but I'm right there with the rest of the crew. And I think our core value at OV is human, not superhuman. And so it's, it's about being real and relating to people on the same level. Like activity is democratic. We all have a body. We all can, we, we all like can be able to move or if we can't like, let's help you find a way to move. Um, and I, I very much believe in that equalness and that access. And, and um, I think from a sports perspective, like on a team, like uh, to be the best team member, like it starts with us. And, and one of our, one of our um, kind of ways that we talk about Ovia is hiking buddy that brought the snacks. So like, it's not somebody that's, a coach, but it's a peer that's bringing you along with you that might be a little more prepared, but Hey, I'm not, I'm not going to do this alone. This isn't an individual thing. Like I'm bringing, I'm bringing you with me and we're going to experience this together. So it's just hardwired into the culture of the company. And that's a beautiful thing to hear, quite frankly, like it's moving. Yeah. And again, like I'm still always going to wear Nike stuff and it's important, but, oh, what, come you're, on. but what you're, no, guys, bring the bag Stop. over. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is this is, Nike's representing the like a one way of doing it. Yep. And that was a, very impressed upon us. Mm -hmm. And I'm, what I'm trying to say is you are creating a whole different narrative yep. that existed but didn't have the broadcast. Right, yeah, 100%. And you're basically saying the like, voice. there's more than one way to fucking win. <laughs> yep. And there's just one of the ways that you can be active is not just being an elite athlete. Right, 100%. Right? Like you can be productive, you can be a team player, you may not be able to dunk the basketball, but there's other ways that you can contribute to like doing it. Right. And I could be totally wrong, but when you're telling me this, it's just like, you're just trying to embrace all the other avenues. Mm -hmm. And that's what, to me, mm -hmm. you're creating with your company. Yep. Right? Absolutely. Just, just doing anything. Doing things. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think about it in sports, like they have the plus and minus rating of, of players, right? And a lot of these players... Um, that don't have the traditional stats of like scoring 25 points a game and mm -hmm. 10 rebounds, they might have four points a game. Yeah. But when they're on the floor, yeah. their plus and minus rating is through the roof because whatever they're doing, they do the intangibles that make the team better. Right. And in some way, I'm wrong. I'm, because I'm, I, I'm, I've not thought about this before. Like, I just feel like one of the reasons why OV connects to someone like my wife and her friends is because you're telling them that like, it's like, some way it's like this glue, right? Like, I don't know what it is because they're not looking at you as 
or, or what OV is as you're trying to sell them something mm-hmm. to just take their money. Mm-hmm. You're trying to say like, this is what we live yeah. already. Right. And um, I don't know. I need to work on how to articulate this a little bit better, obviously, but it's uh, I think there's something there for sure. But um, I find it fascinating that in a world where everyone's trying to figure out how to sell more, mm-hmm. to create brands, to connect to younger mm-hmm. people. That's the hottest thing everyone talks about. Yeah. You took the opposite approach. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah. I mean, our mission is to get the world moving and it's something that it's almost, it's not like a 10 person or le- is it 10? Yeah. 10 people on the basketball court. It's not a 10 person team. It's a continuously evolving and growing team, but, but everyone feels through the shared experience of doing things as part of something larger than themselves. And, and part of our strategy in growing community and what we've found to, to really drive over time, lifetime value and the affinity for the brand is activating offline first, which is counterintuitive to brands that are starting or companies that are starting online and like digital first companies. Everything for us starts offline in that is personal connection. Is someone giving connection. you all this data? Be like, hey, you need to do it this way. No, I mean... I, I need to bring more data into into the equation, which we're starting to, and we're getting smarter. But but you're following your gut. People, yes, people want personal connection and hum, human experience and shared experience, um, and that's really what's what's been the magic for us. Is we prioritize that, create recreational electricity where people are meeting new people together, trying something new for the first time, going on a, for example, bird watching tour, which they've never done for the first time. And like putting themselves out there that then drives this stickiness and, and love and affinity for the brand. And, and it's, it's pretty cool. Where do you think the corporations, the giant corporations out there went wrong trying to communicate <coughs> with your demographic? Right. My um, demographic, right? I think it's back to um, like showing who's part of the company, like companies get so big that you don't know the faces and personalities and quirks and people and ambitions and trials and tribulations behind the scenes. Right. And like one thing, Oh, this is key for me. Um, and I talked to the team about it recently. I think companies in the past have been like, okay, here's, here's our 10 people in a lab, like cooking something up for you. Here you go. And what we've really focused on is flipping that script script and saying, here are the resources we have what can we do for you to the customer? And, and they're willing to tell us. And, and so there's such a direct, like almost best friend type conversation going between our team and our customer that we're so close to our customer. It's, it feels like it's hard to go wrong, you mm. know, but you're not, you're not baking something up and then delivering it. Rather they're in, they're integrated and feel ownership in what we're creating together. When I, Listen to you and, and and all that I've read and and seen with Ovi and what you've created and how you've been able to uh, create a company that resonates with people in a in a way that is meaningful and we, real. Like uh, again, I don't see it as a company. It's 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 like a multi hyphenate type of thing. It's more than one thing because we live in a more complex era than ever before. Our parents ever did with more knowledge at their hands, and I feel that. And please tell me if I'm wrong. I think that like people today that are younger can smell bullshit a mile away. Mm -hmm. And if you cannot be transparent, you're fucked. Right. And I think that what you've done and who you are, it is what you see is what you get. Yeah. And you're basically just trying to create 
the company, not in your image per se, but just to be as radically honest yeah. and transparent as possible, because that's the hardest thing to do. A hundred percent. And people don't respond well to brands anymore because right. it's been so polluted with too much shit that in my opinion, and I've never spoken this out loud is people will still buy something, but they won't respond to the brand. And, and it's not about brands being promoted. It's about ideology mm -hmm. and lifestyle mm -hmm. and is something real. Yeah. They just want to know is something fucking real. Right. And when people ask why is outdoor voices such a, phenomenon i think it's because like you've been able to do exactly who you are like yeah i met you for the first time today and i'm like this is exactly who you are and i no <laughs> doubt that ov is all the principles that you say that yeah and, and i don't know if a lot of companies can figure out how to do that right i think what i'm excited about is to extend we talk a lot about what people care about is standing for something and and um, through OV, like the name comes from when you're little and your mom's like, use your inner voice. And it's all about getting loud and shouting and standing for something. So what I'm excited about is starting to provide a plat or create a platform where we can give visibility and give a voice to underrepresented people to show up in the space of movement for what they care about. Um, and so it can become something much larger than myself. The team is an extension of this and then it's our customer, but how to, how do we as a modern day company create a platform that that uh, gives leverage or kind of gives runway to what the customer cares about, you know? Um, there's so many questions. I don't know. We might edit this out. Forerunners and investing. Mm -hmm. is, is Kristen Kirsten. Green on the, is she Kirsten on the board? board? Yeah. And She's Nick Jamey, you know Nick yeah, too. Yeah, I know Nick. Yeah. Okay, yeah, Kirsten's great. All good friends. Green is, she's just the fucking best. Mm -hmm. She's amazing. She must give you the best advice. She's awesome. Yes. She's really unbelievable. And I think that you've been so fortunate to get all of these like great people to give you advice. Right? Yeah. She's her, um, I guess, best advice has been. And if you don't know, she, um, uh, you want to explain who she is? Uh, yeah. Kirsten Green started Forerunner Ventures. Um, and she has had some incredible wins in the consumer space in the recent kind of three to five years. Um, She's an investor in OV, early investor in OV, Away, Glossier, uh, et cetera. A ton, ton of awesome and, things. And she's a fantastic person. Um, and such a great example for, for women in the VC space. Um, I think a few things, like be one thing in this traditionally male-dominated activewear space, like I saw an opportunity just to speak to women and, and develop product because we have boobs and a butt and we have to think about bounce management and so she she really kind of understood that because she's a woman um and i think given that 50 percent of the population is female like there's so much opportunity for more women to start companies more women to invest in in, in companies and and i really admire her because she's led led the way in that in that regard and without regurgitating too much right and then like to be able to get someone uh like Forerunner and these great companies that have invested money into you um, without talking so much about your background and, and the seed of, of, of it all, right? Like what kind of advice can you give someone when it's not even about having the idea? They have the idea. They are operating at some kind of functional level, but they're looking for the injection of cash. Yeah. What do you do and how do you do it? Because 
from what I've read and just talking to you again right now, it's like, you're going to find a way. Mm-hmm. I just know it, right? Yeah. Like, that was not a surprise to me that you lined up all of these amazing people yeah. and these mentors that have advice. I get asked a lot, like, how do you find these people? Mm-hmm. Do you have any suggestions? <laughs> I think, firstly, start with great products. Secondly, I would walk into, and I've said it before, but I, I would walk into this, like, list uh, I had Googled a list of like tech investors and I put them on a Google sheet and said, I'm going to go one by one in, in and start my deck with, I'm building the next great activewear brand. They all happen to be men. And so they look at me and they're like, what? We have Nike and Under Armour. Why would we need something else? And I started to think about that and understand what my advantage would be and what who it would resonate with. And I quickly realized that, hey, ahead of going into these meetings, I need to send this product to the wives or, or the women in the office because I know how good the product is. And when they put it on, like they are going to be extremely communicative about why it's better product. And so being creative and, uh, and willing to change your approach is a must. Um, and, and as soon as I started getting it on women, uh, that's when I started to get yeses from, from a funding perspective. But like the, Getting your feet in the door. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people feel, in my opinion, that uh, you're given that opportunity. No, no, no. Oh, my gosh. So <laughs> many cold emails. I, you have to be creative and break the freaking rules. I, would, I used my, like, student card for a while, so I'd email in. Even if I had been out of Parsons for, like, two years, I'd be like, I'm a recent graduate, you know? And people like students. They're willing to help students. So just... You got to break the rules and do what it takes to to get in the door, but, but also. But that's hard because a lot of people feel they have to follow the rules oh to get the. Oh my god! Never come on! You got to create your own rules to the game, um, and of course, there's going to be times where you uh, you do, you know, something wrong and you fail, but fail fast. And compression of time creates value. That's that's something that one of my mentors said, and I very much operate that way. Like, try things. Like, not everything's going to be perfect, but we all have to have. Um, a mountain of failures to have any sort of success that is worthwhile. And, uh, you know, are you worried because I'm presented with these problems, right? We're, my company's growing and uh, I'm worried always as to how it's perceived by the public because we're in a lot of different places and we're doing a lot of different things. A lot of it's exciting. I am happy because we're providing opportunities for people. And, and ultimately that's my main concern. And, Mm -hmm. Doing great things, yeah. great products, yeah. making people happy. But with investor money, things fucking change. For 10 years, over 10 years, I didn't, it was all yeah. self funded. Right. Because I wanted control. Right. And to, but at a certain point, you can't continue to take loans or right. you have to take a chance and let someone in. And I was not prepared for that first round of financing because I was not ready. I didn't know what it meant because I got scared. Because of the pressure or because of what? I thought I had to change everything. Interesting. Right? Yeah. Because I was like, oh, now we have to do it like this. And I stopped listening to what my gut was telling me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I started to try to do everything by what rational thought and the book was telling me and all the the, the, the council. And while I had a lot of great advice, I was like, well, now we have to professionalize. Now we have to do these things. Right. And some of it was good, but ultimately um, I think I have to bear the responsibility because I didn't prepare us for what the future might hold. Totally. And yeah. that was a painful learning experience. Yeah. 
I've had the same experience and if if there's any way that we could help people not have to do that and right. go through that, I'd love to. But I found that taking on money meant taking money from really respectable, experienced people that I started to find myself uh, listening to so much advice, which on one side, I'm so thankful to have that support group. On the other side, there were things that, decisions that were made that ended up negatively, negatively impacting um, the business that ultimately there was, the accountability came back to me, but I didn't fully understand that, hey, wait, that was somebody else's decision. Hold, no, I'm, I run this company. Did you feel that people were taking advantage of your situation? I and I won't say naivete, know. but like, yeah. that's what pisses me off. I think being like young and starting a company, uh, there's definitely about like experiences with ageism where people are like, they give you advice and don't recognize that you haven't yet learned that you need to digest that, but then fully decide whether or not or how to incorporate that advice. You know right. what I mean? Like I, I had a period of time where I was so impressionable and I didn't even recognize it. And that's a hard thing to come out of. How do you not of. remain jaded then? <laughs> you can't. There's no time to remain jaded. You got to learn. You got to like, like it's super humbling to like make a big, bad mistake and kind of want to look around and be like, but you told me, you know, nope, I own it. And, and ownership is something that has taken me five years to at least at this point, like fully recognize what that feels like. Um, and it sucks, but, but you have to feel the low to then start, you know, like really appreciate when you're rocking it. And how are you balancing now the, the pressures? And I feel like this is where we might be in a very similar place. Yeah. Cause now you got to fucking grow, mm -hmm. right? Like people are giving you money, not for you to just have fun with it. Right. For, and right. I think this is when a lot of people that are becoming entrepreneurs or raising capital, they need to understand for every dollar that someone's giving you, mm -hmm. they want five, $10 back. Right. Totally. And like that, it's, the time yeah. starts disappearing. There's so much pressure to, and like pedal to the metal, it's grow. Um, a few things. So raising money for me was about the ability to make kind of key decisions for the longer term sustainability of, of the company. That does come with like, yes, you need to grow fast as well. Um, and I would say one thing that I listened to a lot, and it's kind of related to what we were just talking about, was uh, a lot of investors are seeing companies do digital marketing and, and like crush it. Uh, we tried for six months to like go the digital marketing path and it doesn't work for us. And I don't know, but uh, what works for us is this offline in real life, like community first activation that then drives more organic and earned kind of media that can be leveraged through digital. But we tried to like put OV into this digital marketing machine and it has Who was telling worked. you to digital marketing? I mean, because of the companies that were being funded in kind of the same um time frame, like that's what you would hear a lot about. So you start to like look and feel the same and do the same, but that's not, that's not the recipe for success that got us to where we were when they invested, you know? I'm feeling you a thousand percent. So right that, that's like a hard thing to recognize, but it's so important. And, and maybe we should talk like further about like how to remind yourself that, that you got to go back to what, what the, what worked for you in the beginning. I've been thinking about this a lot because as I try to get better at explaining 
to younger chefs that I'm putting in charge to have their own voice and platform. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the mistakes that I've learned and, and, and like part of that is you can't, you have to let them fail. You have to have the mistake, but I have to be constantly reminded and it's not refreshing, but it's like, Oh, you've also gone through the same things yeah. where you get all this rational advice and it makes sense on paper. And this is something we've talked already about in this podcast, but and it's this strange thing where you, you need to listen to it, but because everything makes so much sense, like mm-hmm. pouring all this cash into digital marketing. Yeah. And on paper, it's like, this is what you got to do. Yeah. We almost bypass the, like the pain, the suffering and the trials and tribulations to actually understand it fully. And mm-hmm. what worked for someone else may not work for you. Right. And precarious position to 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 follow your gut always on that because mm-hmm. you have to sort of go out on a limb and be like this is not what we're going to do because mm-hmm. we're editing in our head it's mm-hmm. something i talk to myself all about all the time editing yeah. in your head always leads to a fucked up decision right. because we don't normally i think as humans want to gravitate towards the pain right so totally. we want to edit in our head all the pain and suffering along the way so we can just get to the most viable product immediately. Right. But think about on the court, like the players that are just so naturally moving and instinctually like left, right, right, right. That takes a lot of practice and learning and kind of digging into the details or the data off the court. But like, but that that kind of practice and discipline allows you then to just kind of intuitively respond and react when you're like in the game, you know? And you I think about that, that a lot. you become that player by fucking up. Totally. A hundred percent. Like going and watching tapes of yourself <laughs> yeah. and being like, shit, I'd never want to do that But a lot of people again. don't want to be told how much they suck. Oh, you gotta, yeah. you gotta tell yourself that, you know? And for me as a, as a manager of people, I suck mm-hmm. at managing. It's not <laughs> natural for me. <laughs> me too. Um, I don't know if you've got an executive coach. Mm-hmm. It was the fucking worst. <laughs> I'm going into it again. Oh God! But I know it's going to make me better. So. But to hear very clearly how much you suck. Uh huh. And I was like, after a while, I was like, oh, I love this. Mm-hmm. What do I need to do to get better? Right. But that's that's to me where I'm at right now is how do I listen to data, listen to the smart people around me, trust them, but also understand that. If we do, like, for instance, we opened this restaurant called Bong Bar, and it's this mm-hmm. crazy idea that we had without going too deep into it. And everyone said it's the dumbest idea we've ever done, including mm-hmm. myself. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, we're definitely doing it. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> 100% fucking percent. And in a weird way, I, because of experience, I was able to look, like, I actually wrote this shit out where I thought the efficiency smart people would say would be problematic. Uh-huh. And it was like 13 things where I was like, this person's going to say this, this person's going to say that. And I was ready for them. Yeah. I was like, amazing. No, I know we're going to say this. I thought about it, but you don't know. You've never done this before. So I'm not going to not listen to you, but I'm not going to listen to you because right. where are you getting this information from? We've right. never fucking done it. So right. we need to actually fucking do it first yeah. and then pick up the pieces. Totally. We um, started, in, or I started OV in New York, and then uh, came down to Austin for the first time, went to Barton Springs, which is the Fountain of Youth. It's like a football field-sized spring-fed pool. And I looked around, and I was like, I just felt that this is the future home of OV. If you look at the big activewear brands, like having a city that becomes part of the DNA and a kind of platform for growth, like, this is it for OV. Austin is, is the platform. 
okay, going back to the investors, and, and right, rightfully so from their perspective, they're like, you're a fashion company in New York, why would you ever move? Well, sure enough, I said, we're, we're moving. And over the last few years, we've moved uh, the entire company down here. And it's been tremendous. Like the, the, it's a playground for play and creativity. And I've, I've have found that a lot of companies um, kind of born in the same time frame start to look and feel the same when you're in New York. And, I, and there, that's definitely the right place for you know, a, a lot of companies. But for us, it wasn't. And I felt that so deep down. And, and it was opposite of what, what anyone else would have told I us. I would have loved to have heard the conversation. Oh, it was painful. Ty, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, no way, never. And I'm like, I'm doing it. See you later, we're going. <laughs> How come uh, Boulder would have been a good choice too? No, no, no. Boulder, <laughs> you go onto the you go to the bike paths and people are hauling ass. Like they're they're like going for Ironman records and stuff. And if you go to Town Lake here, it's people of all ages, shapes and sizes, paddleboarding, jogging, walking their dogs. It's very recreational. Huh. Um what with food today, right? Like everyone's saying healthier, healthier. And at some point what you're doing mm-hmm. with your company is probably going to overlap. It already does with what I'm doing. Yeah. It, both from an environmental impact to a health wellness type of level. Mm-hmm. What do you think OV is going to do in the food space down the road? Because I, I could be wrong, but yeah. it's now more than just clothing. Yeah. I mean, it's a mindset. So for us, it's all about approaching activity with moderation, ease, humor, and delight. And um, I think in terms of eating and, and kind of that joy and that, that joy that people get from it, there's a lot of similarities in, in just that experience of joy versus feeling like the health and wellness space is so boring to me. Like, like having to like cut back on things never like go full throttle and then and then like balance whatever I ate a you know ice cream cone with a jog or a swim but I I, I'm all about living living life all the way up versus trying to take things away um I don't know what's your perspective on that I don't know I'm I'm, I'm, (laughs) I'm, 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 honestly I'm I, I have a lot on my mind trying to figure that out more than ever especially having a child and I expected this to happen it was like, what kind of world do I want my son to live in? Mm-hmm. Environment. Immediately, I was like, while well, I cared about it before, I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, mm-hmm. this is real. Yeah. And also, it's like, we've shifted away, even though, like, we're still going to make stuff that is not necessarily unhealthy, but it's decadent because, like, you should be able to have that. Right. Not everything needs to be this monotone thing. Totally. I hate monoculture i fucking hate it with all my life i hate it and never be boring how do you exactly how do you how do you do something that is maybe in polar opposition of how people um live their lives Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. it's something i'm thinking about i don't have an answer mine mine comes back to like this concept of renaissance and recreation like um i forget what this excerpt's from but it's like i do things at 70 percent uh so i still like them and we'll come back to them. And I think like in recreation, it means I'm one day trying like playing pickup basketball, one day going hiking. Uh, and it's a varied kind of palette or varied. It's not like I'm eating cheeseburgers every single day, you know? And I think for us, what's cool about recreation is it's sustainable because you don't lose interest in one of those things. It's like, it's the variety that really drives consistency and as long as those little bites um 
are intentional and and thought out and not like super decadent, like I think that can be a quite nice like sustainable long-term recipe. This is also similar, I think, questions that I have running this company, um, my company, is as you grow, how do you prevent the things that, uh, how should I say, what worked for you in the past may not work for you moving forward. Mm -hmm. That's just sort of this mantra that I think you know very well. But with the situation or the scenarios that you're in right now as you grow and, and more and more people fall in love with OV, how do you sell everyone something that, I mean, how do you promote diversity in product Mm -hmm. when you're still selling them one company? You know what I mean? Right. Right. How do you do that? Like uh, without everyone being the same. Right. And that a lot of what has resonated since the beginning is that OV has been very inclusion focused. That said, the New Yorker did a really good job of critiquing where, the perception and perception is reality perception of OV could very easily be like this young white girl making clothes for young white women. Um, we, my personal passion and focus is how do we get underrepresented people into the OV community? And so I, we're actively reaching out to different groups of people um, like moms and older folks and younger folks and people of color, et cetera, uh, and, and handicapped folks to figure out like when we think of, I think of product as tools, um, less, I don't really like, I hate fashion actually. I think of product as tools because they're tools that allow you then to go, to go be active and do things. Why do you hate fashion? Oh, it just feels. Do you hate the business of fashion or do you hate? Mm, I, there's, I, I love product that's connect, connected to an action, right? Um, and I don't, I think that's the coolest thing about making product to move in. Like product doesn't matter until the people who wear it, bring it to life through an activity. Mm. And that, that experience is, is almost like uh, cooking. I'd say like the product is the raw material, but it's not any good really until it's, it's put into a recipe and, and cooked or baked. Right. And that's really where the magic is. So, um, but for me, I just lost my train of thought, but I hope it was a good thought. It was a great thought. <laughs> um, I want to be totally honest because I, I, I'm forcing myself in all situations. I wanted to talk to you, but when I was reading, I was like, man, like I hadn't, I didn't know. I didn't know what was going to happen mm-hmm. or what was going to be said, even though everyone was saying, you got to talk to Ty. She's magnetic. You're going to love her. And I don't know why I was not being allergic. I was like, can she really over deliver? And I'll be honest <laughs> with you, right now, it's like, uh, I'm very lucky to have met you. And I really Thank believe you. that because I was like, shit, like, you're the real fucking deal. And I mean Thanks. that. Right? You know, and I, and I think that all the things that you recognize as possible weaknesses, mm-hmm. whatever criticism you might be getting as a company or as a CEO, like, no one's gonna be fucking harder right. on themselves than you. Right, right. right. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. It's an honor. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Love being wrong. (laughs) Well, that was my conversation with Ty Haney. Hopefully you enjoyed it and was inspired. I certainly was. Uh, It's just rarer than rare to meet someone so young with this vision and just doing whatever it takes to make sure it happens. And, uh, it is incredibly difficult to accomplish what she's done, to do it on her own, 
to get the funding and have the vision and the drive to create a company in an incredibly difficult space that is athletic apparel and to be transparent about all of our strengths and all of our shortcomings and to create a culture where more than the employees want to take part. Like a lot of people I know really genuinely admire Outdoor Voices. I certainly do. And I'm really looking forward to seeing where she takes the company to the next level. So wishing her all the success and hopefully we can speak to her again in the future. I just was blown away at uh, the the poise and sort of vision that Ty has. Uh, I was unable to conjure up the name of uh, the book during the podcast when I was speaking to Ty, uh, when she was talking about her athletic career, about her being a uh, leader, someone that is the glue, the the person that takes charges, that does all the stuff that is necessary for winning and she may not have been the leading scorer or the one that did all the flashy plays, but you if you play team sports, you know that every team needs someone like Ty, and ultimately they wind up becoming the heart and soul and the leader of any organization or any winning team. And I threw out the, the idea of her being the water carrier, and in a book called the, the Captain Class by Sam Walker. I read it uh, a year or two ago on an airplane. It's a, it's a fun, quick read if you like sports, as I do. And uh, it goes into depth in some esoteric sports teams, but he does an in-depth analysis of all the great teams that like just won, just won everything. And it's not just the, the mass of sports. They could be like badminton or stuff like that. Just uh, sports that... Teams that sort of defied the odds and had a, a lengthy period of success. And what he found was there was a correlation with all these teams that they were all anchored and powered by a very strong captain that had vision, culturally created an environment where the team had to win. And oftentimes you have someone on like the women's national soccer team that would carry water right? Doing all the the little menial tasks that most people would think are beneath them. And they would do all the things that ultimately didn't matter, but it's about creating an organization and, and a culture of winning. And I found that to be fun to read. And I hadn't met anyone, quite frankly, that could relate to sports until I met Ty. So it's not a surprise to me. OV is wildly successful, because you have someone like Ty Haney that's willing to do all the work that a leader might not normally think that they should do. And uh, that is why it's inspiring. And uh, I hope to really see where she grows this whole thing. And I thought that I wanted to talk about that book. Um, I don't have an Ask Dave at Major Domo Media question. I wanted to answer something else that happened Today, uh, I was talking to someone today who works in food and they were, you know, going over recipes and such. And I just sort of commented that they should probably use a microwave for mashed potatoes. And they had this incredulous look and response that I had said, like the worst thing in the world to them. And we didn't get into a debate, but she was sort of concerned that a chef that works in restaurants would want to use a, a microwave. Do I have microwaves in my restaurants? I don't. We have many other pieces of equipment, but I'm talking about the home cook. And I was actually wondering, I was like, why don't my restaurants have microwaves? 
there is many misunderstood beliefs about microwaves, and I think it is the most underappreciated, underutilized kitchen tool probably you have collecting dust in your home or kitchen today. And it's much maligned, like many things in food that are misunderstood and uh, like, say, MSG. Uh, the microwave is a perfectly safe and excellent cooking tool. It uses, and I'm not Bill Nye, I'm not a science person. I cheated my way through science, but my rough understanding of it is, you know, it produces electromagnetic waves that are sort of small enough to sort of create friction and heat in the molecules in the food, particularly works well with water, fat and uh, sugars, but particularly water. And basically anything that has water is great to cook in a microwave, which is why I love cooking vegetables in a microwave. I love cooking eggs in a microwave very quickly. Um, and reheating food that's already been cooked is great, like Chinese food or reheating rice. Grains and vegetables are so easy to do. And as I've been cooking more and more at home for my wife and my family, the thing that I've been using the most is the microwave, particularly to cook vegetables. It's just amazing, quite frankly, because I had not used one as much because I just haven't cooked at home until the past year or so. And the more and more over the past, say, 18 months, I realized how important the microwave is in my ability to cook food and it's constantly being used. So just to start off, try cooking mashed potatoes in a microwave. Put it in a glass container with a lid and put it in for, you know, eight, nine minutes. And then you'll see, you'll see what I'm talking about. It is much faster, saves you time. The science is accurate and it works incredibly well. So there are many other ways to use a microwave, but again, I'm not saying it is not like one of these late night shows where this equipment is going to be the best thing for everything. It's not going to fry. Don't use it for roasting uh, meats and such. You're not going to get a Maillard reaction. That's not how it works. It really cooks from the outside in, or I should say the inside out. Oh shit. I can't even remember that, but check it out. I probably want to get like Dave Arnold or, or Harold McGee or someone to talk or, or Wiley Dufresne, someone to talk about the virtues of the microwave. Uh, you're not going to hear it from me. I'm simply saying, I think that it's not going to hurt you. It's not going to poison your food. It's just got this, a lot of trashy cultural myths surrounding the microwave. And, um, you know, I know that there's a lot of hoity-toity people that are like, you can't use a microwave because you're a chef. Fuck you. That's bullshit. There is a lot more to be done. Uh, anyway, I didn't expect to talk about microwaves. Uh, I will shut the fuck up, let you guys go. Stay tuned next week for a conversation with uh, Aaron Franklin of Franklin's Barbecue. And then the following week, probably Eric Costin, the skateboarder, supreme skateboarder with the Uber Eats house when we were at South by Southwest. Did I just say Eric Costin, Supreme Skateboarder? I just meant like as not the brand Supreme, but as in like just excellent skateboarder. Anyway, uh, give us five stars and however you rate this podcast, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever. Uh, appreciate the support, guys. Speak to you next week. Take it easy. Thank you, y'all, Tango. Bye.